don't discuss. Candid conversations about the things we're told we can't talk about in business. From what it feels like to be the only one in the room to finally getting a seat at the table, navigating business while Black and woman can be professionally challenging, but personally rewarding. Join us for insightful interviews that validate that what we often feel, sense, and experience is real. Armed with these success stories, we can be better equipped to shatter glass ceilings and break through cement walls with authenticity. I'm telling. 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 In this episode, we wanted to tackle the thing that too many of us have been doing for too long. That is to try to do it all and to try to do it perfectly. Many of us have juggled being super moms and super wives and super leaders and super friends. We've really juggled trying to be superhuman. We've been super women and have been determined not to ever drop one single one of those critical balls, the priorities in our lives. I've been there. I put on my heels, my tailored suit, and my superwoman cape and headed off into the world ready to do it all and to do it perfectly. Only there's only so much one human being can do in one day, and there's even less one can do flawlessly. Still, we try. In this episode of Things We Don't Discuss, we are joined by Thelma Haylock, a successful executive in the healthcare industry who also happens to be a wife and mother and all-around badass. She's done it all and has done it all exceptionally well. To know her is to love her and to want to be just like her, to follow in her superb workforce warrior footsteps. Today, she takes off her superwoman cape and reveals what lies beneath. Much of what is there is precisely the stuff, the things we don't discuss. We're honored to hear what lifts her, a deep-seated sense of humility, and what can sometimes weigh her down. Perfection. Every superwoman's kryptonite. Things We Don't Discuss is brought to you by our sponsors, Little Drummer Boy Recordings, for all of your audio and podcasting needs, and by Home Studio Tutor, teaching digital music creation and entrepreneurship to the world. So the world knows you as Superwoman. You are an executive in the health industry. You've traveled the world in several roles. You've led global projects and have always been that person, that woman that everyone looks to for optimal results. At home, you're a super wife and super mom, married your college sweetheart. You have four beautiful, brilliant children. Your first is actually headed to college in just a few months. And then in your community, you are super volunteer. You serve on school boards and lead cheerleading teams and have been on your homeowners association's leadership team. I mean, you've done it all. To everyone, you are superwoman. To me, you're that. And then you're also my BFF, my maid of honor, my sounding board, the person I speak to every single morning on my way to work. To me, you're my super cousin. And because you're so super, we've done this personal and professional journey together. You are the person with whom I did podcasts before podcasts were a thing. And so I'm excited to introduce you to the world 
and to introduce this topic that you and I have been grappling with for quite some time, this idea of trying our best to do it all and putting on this heavy cape on a daily basis and becoming superwoman. Thelma Lawson Haylock. How are you, cousin? Exhausted just listening to that opening. Uh, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It is a lot. So talk to us. Talk to us about when this journey to becoming this superhero started for you and, and what that feels like now. Um, in retrospect, it started at my mother's knee, right? Watching my mom do it all um, was the model that I guess um, I'm, I've always been working towards. And so um, whether it's school or when I started my family, when I started working, it was um, not just doing one or two things, but having multiple things on your plate and doing that juggling act um, and just never saying no. Right. And so you become your load becomes heavy. Um, and I think for those people who once you um, become someone's go to person or people know that you will get the job done, they continue to come to you and they refer others to you. And so you find yourself um, juggling multiple balls and not knowing how to put one down and also thinking you can't put one down. Right. What happens if I don't do it? Who will? And uh, that's something that I am journeying towards, learning how to put down balls and walk away from them and being okay with it. So and it is a process. Yeah. So when you do make the decision to put one of those, those balls down, when you make a decision to deprioritize something or to just put it on the back burner for a minute, how does that feel? Especially for someone like you, because you're used to, you're a high performer, you're, 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 you achieve. So when you decide that something cannot be done, what is that decision like for you? It's a struggle. Um, because it's usually something dealing with my children. Right. So um, I think you said in the intro, I have four. They range in ages from 17 to 10 and they're very active um, academically, sports, uh, friends. They do a lot. And so I always want to, you know, I never I don't know how to say no. And so when I do need to say no or, as you said, deprioritize something, um, it's difficult. And I feel like I'm failing. I'm failing them. I'm failing uh, myself, uh, my role as mom. And so, you know, there's a lot of self-talk that I have to go through um, to say, okay, no, it is okay. They will live without you going on that school trip or being a Girl Scout leader or whatever. It is a thing that I've decided to put down. Um, I really wrestle with it and I really have to tell myself it's okay um, and that my children <laughs> will live without me being there for that one activity. Mm -hmm. But it's difficult. And this is this is I, I'm fortunate that I've kind of watched you evolve toward that space or, or this place in, in your life where you can actually be relatively OK. But that has been a journey that that hasn't always been you. How was it earlier? How how did you get here? Well, you know, I, again, it is a process in the making. I don't know if I'm there yet, um, but def definitely walking towards it. One, I think my children are getting older, and so that allows me to play less of an active role. Um, but two, I had an executive coach who made me take a serious internal look at all of the things that I was juggling. 
um, and the um, level of perfection that I was trying to achieve. And she told me it was okay to ask for help. She told me it was okay to have my children do more and ask more of those around me, ask for help. Um, again, I never saw my mom ask for help. I just saw her do it all. And so to me, asking for help was weakness. And she told me it wasn't. And she gave me permission. And um, I tried it out. You know, I tried it out whether it was, hey, I need help picking up the kids, um, having that conversation with my husband, or um, walking away from being um, a leader in, you know, for Girl Scouts or whatever it was. I, I, I dipped my toe in the pool. And when I didn't drown, um, I tried some more. Um, I will say what I now have to avoid is not just replacing um, one ball for another. So while I started saying no, I then quickly found something else to replace it. And, and that's the issue that I find myself with now. Mm -hmm. You touched on something interesting a few seconds ago, which was this idea of perfection, that, that in essence you were striving for perfection. Where does, where does that come from? Um, I'm a Virgo, and it is a trait of being a Virgo, so I'm going to believe it on that. <laughs> but um, also, I've always been told that my parents are immigrants, and so um, being better than everyone else was really instilled in me um, from a very young age. It wasn't just good enough um, to get A's. I had had to be A pluses. I remember, maybe I was in eighth grade or so, and my report card must have come, my final report card came in the mail, and I had A's. And my dad looked at it, and he, he was like, yeah, that's good, but you could have had A pluses, right? So, and that was just his way of trying to push me, always to push me, um, but that was a standard that was set for me very early in life, and so I look to it um, in everything I do. Uh, and it's a lot to live up to perfection, right? Because we're not perfect. Um, and it also puts pressure on other people around you, right? Because then I expect it of them. I put people on pedestals, right? And have expectations that they will um, live up to. And if they don't, then they fall off that pedestal and then I have issues. So, yeah, I would say I learned it from my parents. Um, and it's been a great thing. It's been a tool, but it also can, uh, you know, uh, hinder me as well. So now I'm, I'm picturing you at work, right, in all of your, your you know, with your superwoman cape ready to go and with this urge to try to be perfect, even though, you know, you, you know better. You know that you are as imperfect as the next person. Um, and so, and, and yet you have this drive um, and this background that really still pushes you to try to do your very best. So you are in a you know, an executive role, you've, again, you've done some really amazing things with your career. But I know that you're also often the only one, the only black woman, um, the only, usually the only woman with four kids, um, the only woman uh, who is trying to balance all of these things. So then, how does that perfection that need to be perfect play out in workspaces and, and this you've learned that you have to deprioritize from time to time, but all of that I'm sure still shows up with you uh, when you show up at work. So tomorrow you're, you're walking into work. I'm sure there are a number of projects um, and, and expectations and things that you're asked to do and to do well. How do you negotiate 
the need to be perfect with the reality of everything that you're juggling. Yeah. Um, so I weigh my words very carefully. Um, I parse my words, if you will. So um, if I'm going to speak, uh, my sentence is going to have weight. It is going to be thought out. The words are going to be strung together in, um, to have a particular cadence and to really say something profound. That's a lot, right? That is a lot. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes you need to be quick on your feet. And so I may come across a little slower than other people. And, and that's not a bad thing, right? Um, but I'm not going to be the first person to speak. And I may not speak at all. And so what I have found throughout my career is if you have a seat at the table, you better use it, right? And and you say, you know, um, I, I may be the only one, uh, sometimes the only woman, definitely usually the only black woman, um, a mom, right? I don't get to uh, put my kids um, on the back burner, I have to juggle them during the day, whether they get a call from them or, you know, have to take them to a sport. And so I have add this added pressure to, again, be perfect, but also to really um, have impact when I talk. And And it's just hard. It's hard some days because I want to have that quick one-liner or I want to um, share my thoughts as they are happening versus really trying to ensure that I'm saying it the right way, that I'm not using slang or um, being, again, being a child of immigrants. I don't always say words the right way. I hear them one way and they come out <laughs> another way, right? Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of big words, but I don't know how to say all of these words. And so I'm really thinking through um, how I say things and what I say. I'll give you an example. Um, I was once, um, I, w I was a consultant in my former life, and I used a word, and I used it um, with a client, and I used it incorrectly, and they made fun of me, mm. and that has stuck with me, and these people weren't smarter than me or, you know, better educated than me. I just used a word, you know, I put um, the emphasis on the wrong piece of the word. I will not use that word. I won't use it with you, and I won't use it with anyone else. <laughs> you know I want to know I what the word is, mistake. right? Yeah, yeah, no, 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 and another time. Um, but, like, that has stayed with me. And there, again, is perfection, right? I didn't do something the right way the first time, and so now I will not do it again. Um, and so that's something that I have to work through every time I speak at a meeting or um, I have to stand up and, and present something. I think very carefully about what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it. That is a lot of work. That's a lot of intentionality. That's a lot of, of you know, thinking. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot to be quick, to be expected to think on your feet uh, really quickly. And at the same time, you said, you know, that you feel that you have to be profound every time you speak. It's a big standard to meet. So what, what, happens, um, what happens when you don't? What happens when you don't? What 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 else happens when you make a mistake? I, I'm sure you've done it more than that one time. So when it's maybe not the way you pronounce something, but you know when your ideas, when you finally say that thing that you believe is profound, to know you is to know that you're a really thoughtful person. But when you put that stuff out there and it doesn't stick, how does that how does that work for you? Well, first, I probably call you. 
<laughs> as my sounding board, right? And um, sometimes you just need to vent. And so I would say to anyone, find someone that you can vent to, someone that you can say, you know, is, is your cheerleader, um, but also is your mirror and, and, you know, allows you to have that moment of, yeah, that didn't work. And then picks you up, brushes you off and pushes you forward. Um, and then I also look for that in the workplace, right? Um, I, I validate my ideas. Okay. I said this, it didn't really land. Am I off? Right. And, um, I find that mm, maybe it was the temperature in the room. It's not usually that your idea was off, but maybe the way you presented it, again, the temperature in the room or the timing on it. Um, I speak with passion because I'm usually passionate about the things that I, that I do. Um, and so not everyone is ready for that passion, right? Or not everyone, um, is ready, is, um, knows how to take it, I would say. And so I don't just leave it there. I take it back. I reconsider it. And then I put it back out there for consideration. Again, I'm passionate about the things that I say after I've weighed it. And so if it hasn't landed, um, I try to figure out what, why that was and, uh, try to, get it to connect with people. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not always successful. Mm. Passion is um, passion is, is a prickly word, especially for, for people of color. Um, is your passion friend. always well-received? Yeah, no. Passion definitely is a word that um, I was once told, take the emotion out of it. And that statement has really has also stayed with me. Like, what does that mean, take the emotion out of it? If I'm not passionate or if I don't feel strongly, why would I even bring it to the table, right? Mm-hmm. And so that is an attempt to neutralize you. It is to take um, the strength of your words away. And so um, you really have to examine where the person is coming from when they tell you something like that. Oh, you're really passionate. You should be less emotional. Mm-hmm. Well, if you really are less emotional, then you don't really care. And so maybe that's a shortcoming of theirs and not yours, right? Um, you do need to figure out how to get your sentiment to resonate. But I would never take the passion out of what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, that's, I've come to that conclusion over time. Uh, Thelma of 20 years ago would have taken the passion out of what she says. Thelma of today leads with that passion. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point. 20 years ago, you were a different Thelma. I, I still remember the two of us deciding that we were getting, I think it was a summer job. And we got on a bus and we headed out to, you know, complete some job applications. And we were all excited about it. But before we headed out, your mother actually told us that it was not a good idea for us to look for a job together. She told us it was unprofessional. Of course, we ignored that and we kept it moving. And um, it thankfully worked out for both of us over time. But who you were then and who you are now are two different people, right? That journey has been an amazing one for you. Can you walk us through your career path? Um, You went to college. uh, After college, you went to grad school. And talk to us a little bit about how you how you went from from that, that young woman who was willing to jump on that bus with me to who you are today. Oh, you're, you're taking me back in time. I like to think that I'm young, but evidently mm-hmm. from this conversation, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my job. That's, that's a cousin of me. 
Thank you very much. Um, so, yeah, I went to grad school. I thought I was going into advertising and had several internships in that area. Um, and then went to a college fair and uh, started talking to um, Anderson Consulting at the time about um, doing advertising for them. And they told me the only way to get into it was to start in a consulting practice. So I moved back home from Florida um, and went to go live with you um, and started on my consulting career. I was in consulting for about 10 years. I loved it um, and hated it at the same time. It was a job full of pressure. Um, it was about climbing the ladder every day in, in um, pursuit of the next um, rung on the ladder. And um, probably midway through, I got married and started having kids. And I will always remember my dad uh, telling me, you can't, you can't continue to be a consultant and have a family. Um, you can, but for me, um, my path uh, took me a different direction. And so I was working at Wyeth. Um, they were my client at the time. Um, and they had an opening doing the very same thing that I was doing for them as a consultant. And so I spent the next 10 years of my career um, at, in pharmaceutical. Um, and then most recently, the last two years, um, I started with a startup um, and throughout my career, I've always done um, what's called change management. So your communications, training, org design, um, change navigation. So while I've done it for three different companies, um, I've always really done this, the people side of the implementation or the human aspects of getting in a big computer system. It has been uh, interesting. Um, lots of trials and tribulations throughout. Um, and the person, while the jobs that I've had have shaped me, I would say being a mom has shaped me even more. Um, I take a lot of what I do at work and try it out with my kids. That doesn't usually work. Um, and then I reverse engineer it. I take the lessons that I learned from my children and bring it to work. So they remind me to be humble. Um, they remind me that it's okay to make mistakes. They remind me that you got to get up and try again every day. And so um, I add the, having four children to that career story as well. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about the upside of being you at the table? Wow, that's a good one. Uh, the upside of being me. I think that I have a unique voice. Um, I have a diverse background, diverse, not just um, being a woman, being a black woman, being a Latina, Afro-Latina, um, but also um, my experiences come in as well. So when you marry my background with my experiences, I've worked um, all over the world. I've worked in China um, and, and, um, I've brought my brand to these places where I didn't always speak the language, didn't always understand the culture, but had to get things done. And so I used my experiences, my background to get work done. Um, that has provided me a unique voice. And so when I speak, I can leverage these things, right? I really have an understanding of my audiences 
and I try to be their voice at the table. And that is not always appreciated. Um, sometimes we like to do, but not understand the impact of what we do. And I will always make sure that their voices are heard. Mm. Um, again, not always appreciated, but definitely a needed element at the table. Mm -hmm. And so you take a risk, right? You in bringing that voice to the table, I think you're bringing a different perspective. And and that's the, that's part of the, um, the benefit of having inclusive cultures, inclusive organizations, right? You get the diversity of those backgrounds and experiences and perspectives. But to your point, it doesn't always work. Um, What happens when it doesn't work? What's what's that feeling? Like you've put a little piece of yourself on the table and it was rejected. So when you um, leverage your experiences or you share your experiences and um, other people um, don't come to it or don't appreciate it, it hurts. Mm-hmm. It hurts because you've I've given up myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that doesn't resonate with you, I, I tend to look inward and say there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. The good news is I know you well enough to know there's nothing wrong with you. Um, and I know you know that about yourself. Um, but I, I certainly can appreciate and relate to that feeling, right? When you've taken a chance, you've taken a risk, um, and there is a wall. You hit a, a bit of a wall, right? And um, you feel different. You feel excluded. You feel as if your voice um, is irrelevant. Um, one of the things, before we wrap up, because I, I, I know you and I could do this all day, every day, um, for hours, but I also know that um, there may be a part two to this conversation at another time. So this is just a beginning of the why uh, in many in many ways, the why of this podcast, right? Um, because you and I have had each other, um, and we recognize that some women, some men, some people um, may not have this to lean on. And so when they do hit that wall, it's a little bit more challenging. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch on before we go into my favorite part of the podcast, which is rapid fire, is um, you mentioned an executive coach a little bit earlier. Uh, and I, I remember going through that journey with you, uh, listening to you as, as you went through that experience uh, and how helpful that was. But for the average human being, the average woman, especially the average woman of color who might just be starting off, the concept of hiring um, an executive coach can can feel a little bit inaccessible. And you and I know it took a while to even get to that, to a, to a place where you could even have that, right? So before the executive coach, before the presence of that, how did you, how did you manage? How'd you, how'd you make it through? A lot of prayer. Um, so I have a praying mother. <laughs> um, and she often tells me, uh, that she prays for me even when I don't know it. So I would say that first and foremost. Um, but then also there are a lot of, um, you have to depend on your village around you, right? So whether it is the conversations you and I have in the morning or um, my college girlfriends who I call on um, or, you know, the professional friends that I've made now um, who've become family, right? I, I, call, I call upon them and I vet things out. I, I throw things up against the wall 
um, and I and I see what sticks, and they help me really see the um, you know the pertinent pieces there, um, and and we work through it together. Um, I can't do it on my own, right? And so I don't have every experience. I don't always understand all the angles, and so getting these varying um, voices help, but also <clears throat> in the end. I have to depend on me, right? And so I have to take all of this in and come up with my own truth and my own reality. I don't always get it right, but for the most part, um, doing those two things, listening to others, taking it in, and then coming up with the right decision for me has really helped me guide my career. I've had some missteps. Um, I've righted the ship when I needed to. Um, and I've also taken a step back um, when that was needed as well. Um, but always, I, 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 I leaned on my village and I leaned on myself. And it's gotten me this far. So It's a great place to be. It's a great place to be. All right, Thelma, rapid fire. Really quickly, one sentence, one word, um, one abbreviated version of the longer conversation we would have if we were having, if we were going through these questions. Your favorite book and why? Um, today, my favorite book is The Tipping Point by Malcolm McGladwell. Um, I am an avid reader. I, I should uh, preface that with, I'm an avid listener now because I listen to audibles. Everything's on, on audio. Mm-hmm. And so today, it's The Tipping Point by Ma- Malcolm Gladwell. Um, he just takes history and really explains it to you in a way that the history books never did. Um, and so has helped me really round out my global perspective. Excellent. How do you exercise self-care and self-compassion? So, yeah, when I saw this question, I struggled. I don't. Um, I need to do a better job of it. I started today. Um, today's day one. I'm in the process of something called stat loading. And then I'm starting this whole body overhaul. So hopefully the next time we talk, um, I have something uh, more to add here, so stay tuned. <laughs> if it's any consolation, it's a question that kind of trips every single person um, up or down. So we all have some work to do in that in that space. The song, poem, quote, or advice that motivates you, but for the grace of God. Um, if it wasn't, you know, for God touching my life at each and every point, I wouldn't be here. And when I look at everything that's out in the world and how easily it could be me, just as well as the person that happens to it, I know it's but for the grace of God that I am where I am today. Mm-hmm. Thelma, if you had an opportunity to look back at the younger you, if you had an opportunity to talk to that little girl again, um, what would you say to her? about beginning a journey to leadership, the one thing that you would want your, your, yourself to know back then, or maybe your daughter, Eva, right? If you had a conversation with Eva now about her own journey to leadership, what would you say to her? Um, well, she's well on that path, as she tells me every day. <laughs> um, she's a little fearless with it, so she's kind of my hero. Um, but I would remind myself uh, to be kind, kind to myself, right? I think it's easy to be kind to others, um, but be kind to yourself. Everyone else will criticize you. Everyone else will point out your flaws, but you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe you're beautiful and awesome and smart and, and a superwoman. 
for everyone else to believe it as well. So be kind to yourself. Don't criticize yourself. Let the world do that. You build yourself up. Thelma Lawson, Haylock, you were that superwoman, that super shero cape so well. Thank you so much for spending time with us on things we don't discuss. Thank you.